Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Ava Chen is the author of Mott Street, a Chinese-American family's story of exclusion and homecoming. Ava is also the author of Eating Wildly, winner of the Les Dames d'Escoffiers International MFK Fisher Book Prize. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, the Village Voice, and Sever. She is the recipient of grants and fellowships from the New York Public Library's Coleman Center, the Fulbright U.S. Scholar Program, New York Foundation for the Arts, New York Institute for the Humanities, and the Asian American Writers Workshop. She is an associate professor of creative nonfiction at the City University of New York. Welcome, Ava. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Mont Street, a Chinese-American family story of exclusion and homecoming. Congratulations. Thank you. It's so nice to be here with you. 
Oh, so nice to be here with you too. We were just talking about how you were a Coleman Fellow at the New York Public Library and got your pitch down by repeating it ad nauseum there. So let's hear the product of all the practice. What is your book about? Okay, so the short version is the Mont Street is about the impact of the Chinese Exclusion Act laws on four generations of my family as we landed in the American West, then did a reverse migration across the country before finally landing in the same tenement apartment building in the heart of New York's Chinatown on Mott Street. It's a story about how I was trying to find out about more about my family, but then how I discovered so much more. Unbelievable. Tell me about the Coleman Center. So was this your idea? And then you went there and started digging or like, give me the chronology of what happened here with this book. Sure. Okay. So, you know, in terms of my personal history with the book, there's a short answer and the long answer. So I mean, we have half an hour, so you just, you do whatever. You can do the long version. So, well, I'm going to tell you both. So the short version is that from 2015, a series of events happened that made me realize that I needed to really start to research this book. For me, this book was that book that you always have rattling around in the back of your head, but you say to yourself, I can't do that book. I lack the resources, the time, the language skills, access to people, people who don't want to talk to me. You know, I had all of those critics in my head saying, no, you can't do this, right? But then finally in 2015, all of these things conspired together. And then I realized, you know what? People are not getting any younger. We're losing that generation in my family. And I better start continuing to ask more questions now and do it in a formal way. So from that time forward, I really made this my sole project, my sole creative project. And I was lucky enough to land a Fulbright Fellowship. I dragged my entire family, my husband and my daughter, out to Shanghai. We did research uh, in our villages. And then I landed a fellowship at the New York Public Library, Schwartzman Building, the Coleman Fellowship. And then for that year, I was able to use the resources at the library and have that amazing amount of time to really focus on working on the work. But the long story really is the truer story, which is that I have been collecting these stories since I was a child. I grew up raised by a single mother. I did not know my father. We were estranged from each other. I didn't meet him until I was 27 years old. At the same time, the family who raised me told me stories about the fact that I was a descendant of a Chinese railroad worker who helped build the nation's first transcontinental railroad that united the country from coast to coast after the Civil War. And when I went to school, And my teachers started telling us about the Transcontinental Railroad and, you know, how it benefited the country. I thought I knew everything there was to know about the railroad. And then I opened up the textbook and I was like, I saw the official photograph and there wasn't a single Chinese face in the photograph staring back at me. This was the official photograph put out by the railroad company. And I just thought, what is this nonsense? What are they trying to tell us? And where? Where are we in this photo? And from that point forward, I think that that was the moment that I realized I was a writer because I cared about these stories. 
And I wanted to make sure that these stories were more adequately adequately reflected in our literature and our general culture. So really, that is the real time in which I started researching the story. But, and then as I got to later on, fast forward, I'm a a freelancer at the Village Voice newspaper, and I start researching my estranged family members. I discover that there's an oral history that my Qing grandfather left at a local museum down in Chinatown. I don't get that oral history. I don't get my hands on that oral history for another 20 something years. (laughs) Right. Uh, So, I mean, this has been a long process of putting this book together. And so the fact that it is finally here out into the world, it gives me so much pleasure that that it's it's hard to contain myself sometimes when I'm talking about it. That's amazing. I mean, why did you not give up? There are so many times where you could have just been like, all right, that was fun. On to the next. You know, I did give up for a really long time. It was the thing. It was the project that I always had on my back burner, right? I ended up doing other things that I thought were easier, like getting two masters and a PhD. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's, that's a piece of cake. Yeah, yeah. This is um, how you procrastinate. <laughs> right. Meeting my husband in my 30s, dating in New York, right? Seemed yeah. way easier. Giving birth to a baby without an epidural because oh, I had the idea that I wanted to push her out, right? All of that stuff seemed so much easier than writing this gigantic book that I knew that I needed to do it, but I just didn't have the confidence to do it. And so in 2015, all of these things seemed to come together that made me realize that I needed to write this book. So you want me to tell you what those things were? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I'm totally interested. All right. So in 2015, I went into an exhibit at the New York Historical Society. The exhibit was about Chinese exclusion and inclusion. And in that exhibit, there were all of these little clues that existed, like newspapers and photographs that were related to my family members. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting, Chinese exclusion. I thought maybe this is a frame to the story. Then the other thing that happened is I ended up writing about my maternal grandmother's side of the family. And so They arrived here in the 1880s. They intermarried early. They had interracial marriages, right? There were white people who married into our family. But they also ended up, I didn't know this, but I I was writing about my family members and I posted it online on this online Asian American women's magazine. And then a writer from the Ford newspaper right? The Jewish Lower East newspaper reached out to me and said, Ava, did you know that your family member ended up doing these big fundraisers in Chinatown, lending a hand across the Lower East Side to his Jew- their Jewish neighbors and ended up doing these fundraisers for Jewish pogrom victims in the early part of the 20th century? And all of those things together made me realize that there was more there than just like collecting family stories and then telling them to other family members that my family was actually interconnected in all of these different ways in Chinatown. I found out once I met my father that 
he lived in a building on Mott Street that was the same building that the maternal side of my family who raised me were also born and raised. Then I later found out that the families were upstairs, downstairs neighbors from each other, kind of like the honeymooners, you know, and I realized also that not only were they living here as friends, neighbors, went to the same churches, summered at the same places in the Jersey Shore, but they were all interconnected because they lived here under this period in time in which the Chinese Exclusion Act was hovering above all of them. I think I should probably mention what the Chinese Exclusion Act is. Go for it. This is the best interview I've ever done. I get to, I, I don't even have to ask you anything. I love it. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I I love it. Keep going. I'm just going to listen and learn. Okay. All right. All right. So the Chinese Exclusion Act was the country's first major immigration restrictions. It was the first time our border shut against any nationality. And what it effectively did was that it halted legal Chinese immigration into this country and blocked a pathway towards our citizenship for over 60 years. It also set the tone for future immigration policies going forward so that by 1924, Almost all Asians are banned from coming into the country, and there were restrictions against Southern and Eastern Europeans as well. So this had major impact on immigration. I mean, I can even make an argument that this is one of the legislations that helped, you know, further immigration restrictions down the line so that even Anne Frank's family had, you know, could not get into the United States, right? Um, So there's a way in which so many of us are interconnected in ways that I don't think most Americans are aware of. Wow. Unbelievable. So as you started discovering all these things, how did you even keep all this research organized, right? This is so many that, I mean, did you have notebooks? Like how did you, how did you keep it organized? And then how did you figure out what to include in the book? So I can tell you that my writing studio And my home were a big, fat, giant mess. Like what you see behind me (laughs) is is wonderfully organized. But in that period when I was working on the book, it it was just, it was was bananas in here, right? There were piles everywhere. It, it It was actually kind of impossible. So what I needed to do, here's the other thing early part of the doing the research was kind of easy because it was like paper and I was taking notes. And this was like even before I owned a computer, right? Because it was like when I was growing up and, and interviewing, you know, mock interviewing family members, collecting oral histories and stuff. I was so disorganized because I was, I was a kid or I was a college student. So I was like putting these papers and folders. And luckily I kept a lot of my folders and I was always keeping a journal ever since I was in grade school. So um, those journals really came in handy, right? Because I also write about meeting my father for the first time. And so I referred back to a lot of those journals. So I had all of these folders and all of these notebooks, you know, and my place was a mess. And I had to let myself like be relaxed about that. You know how like, it's like, it was like, as a woman and a mom, you always have to constantly deal with the tyranny of the household. <laughs> I just I just decided, I was like, you know what? It's either I have a clean place or, you know, I, I, I create this book for the world. 
and I chose the world. <laughs> so, so the, you know, it, anyway, if I, if I showed what my place really looked like on Instagram, people would be like, oh, you're a crazy person. Right. So anyway, so I had all of those things. Then what happens later is we enter the era of, of the internet and internet research. And so a lot of my things became scans. And then I had to figure out how to adequately put them all in the right place in my computer. And I felt like I was constantly losing things. Now, the only good thing about all of this is that it kind of allowed me to be very open to, these are things I don't talk about a lot because I am a professor at CUNY, but it allowed me to be open to these very interesting messages. I'll call them messages little breadcrumbs that were left that I felt like were from my ancestors and from the grandparents that I was estranged from and who died before I got to meet them. There was a way that there were these little breadcrumbs that were left behind and I was, I was picking them up and I feel like they led me to the story. So sometimes I would open up a file or I would open up my grandmother's photo albums, right? My grandmother's long since passed, right? But I write about her in the book. I opened up her photo albums and I would find notes that I had taken when I was in college in the photo album or, or in the file. Things that I didn't remember that I had written, but that I had done like over the course of many years when they were still alive. So all I can say is I thank young college aged Ava Chen all the time. This just goes to show you never waste any time when you're interested in something, it will all help you in the long run. Like I feel like all these deep dives into things, like sometimes I stay up late and I'm like, I don't even know why I'm learning about this or that or whatever. And then somehow it like a year or two later, I'm like, oh, actually I know all about that because I had this one random night. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's never for nothing. When you feel that instinct to like dive deeper and deeper, it's never a waste. Right? Right. Right. That's right. So I feel like it's all interconnected, even like if you want to talk about reading, right? So I'm a professor of creative writing. I talk to my students about this all the time when they graduate They're like, how do I continue to have this writing life, right? You know, sometimes, you know, it's like, it's not possible to write when you have a lot of work at your day job. And what I tell them is like, one of the things I did when I went through like a five-year period where I wasn't, I was writing journalism, but I wasn't writing long sustained narratives the way I wanted to. But the best thing to do in those periods are if you're reading really great literature, literature by people from different perspectives, and you're learning about the world in a different way than like you had seen it before. These are things that actually change your writing voice. And that you'll find that when you go back to the page again and start working on your work, that your voice has actually been strengthened by all of the reading that you've done. Interesting. I love it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. So as a professor of creative writing, when you turn to your own work, how do you get through it without sort of editing yourself as you go? You know, it's really hard, but I think what I realized really soon into this is that a lot of the feelings that I was feeling when I was going through this research, right? So a lot of the research that I had to deal with, the archives I had to deal with were really thorny. They were 19th century newspapers that had a very popular discriminatory viewpoint that was popular for the day, right? And I had to practice reading against the grain when I was dealing with a lot of these, these archives. And what I realized is that all of the things that I was feeling needed to be noted down because they were important. And... They also were a way for the reader to connect through my feelings, to connect to the story, you know, of these characters, these family members that I really cared about, right? So I think that understanding where I was in the writing process and the researching process was one of the key things to actually being able to write this epic saga of my family as they try to lay down roots in America, right? And so so that was, like, I guess that old adage of know thyself really was incredibly important for me. Wow. And now that you've finished this colossal project that has taken up a lot of your adult life, where do you go from here? Well, you know, 
a lot of it right now, you know, the book just came out recently and it's been getting really, really great press. So I'm very happy. So there's still a lot of events to do, you know, at the 92nd Street Y in the fall, at the in different universities. But when I was working on this book, this kind of weird, miraculous thing happened where I felt I was like in the middle of writing the book. And some point I felt like my book gave birth to a baby. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, there's another 300 pages in here. And I thought, no, I, I can't do that to the reader, right? I'm already at 300 pages. It's time to stop. But this, so this other narrative, which is, um, sort of more the narrative of 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 the the decades about the impact of exclusion on my parents um you know my mother was miss chinatown when she met my father who was an aspiring um politician who wanted to represent chinatown and state assembly and you know and the kind of disaster that unfolded that was their relationship and the the ways in which they were impacted by Chinese exclusion. So 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 there is that idea of that book right behind this one. The baby book. <laughs> the baby book. But but we need to talk about this book. I know, I know. I know. Mama book. <laughs> I know you've gotten such great press and reviews everywhere. Oh my like how does that feel to you? It it feels great. Um but you know it's I think What's it feels great because it means that other people know about the book. But I think what's most important, you know, this is for everybody, for any project that you do. It's most important for me how I feel about the book. And I love this book. I even loved narrating the audio book, which is very interesting. Have you ever? I have. Okay. All right. I've narrated four audiobooks. So you know, it yeah. is like it's a marathon. <laughs> I mean, I likened it after the first day or two, I likened it to giving birth without an epidural as being easier than narrating the audiobook, right? And because at least it's like after you give birth, it's like you have a baby, right? With this, it's like it's like days and days and days. I had to do it for five days because, you know, the book is kind of extensive. And, you know, but by the end of it, I actually had a different relationship with my voice. Mm. You know, I, I I was the kind of person, I think like most people, they're like, oh, I don't like the sound of my voice and I don't like it when they play it back. You know, I, you know, you get very self-conscious. But after the first day or two, after listening to it, I was like, no, actually, I appreciate my voice. And and it, so it gave me a better connection with, with myself and also with the book itself. Because, you know, how it's like you're working on a book for a long time and it gets edited. You don't actually, as the writer, really read the entire book through to the, so from start to finish. Right. Because you're just like editing. You're dealing with different sections of the books. It's so big. Narrating the audiobook, I was like, oh, I'm on this journey too, like the reader. So I really love my audiobook. I highly recommend it. Okay. All right. Noted. What advice would you have for aspiring authors? I think that, particularly for writers who are working on family stories, 
The most important thing is to start doing those interviews now mm. because people aren't, are not around forever. You don't want to be in a position where you're like, ah, why didn't I ask grandma that question? You know, she always told me that story, but I never really noted it down. Now I have other questions about it, you know? So, so I think that you know, the sooner that you start, the better. The other thing I would say, and this goes back to your question about, you know, how do you get out of your own way or how do you stop those critics that are in your head? I think that the one thing that, like the one thing that I always remembered being nervous about, and it's the number one thing that a lot of my students are worried about when they're writing memoirs about their families are the worried well, what is my family going to say, right, when this comes out? And I think the important thing is to remember that right now when you're writing, that's the time in which you've got to collect everything and you have to write it down. You're not showing this to anybody. Mm -hmm. I always recommend not showing the working manuscript to any family members or any important people that you write about until the point in time in which you land a contract and you know that the book is coming out. That's different. Then you start talking about people because, you know, you have relationships with them. But then the beginning, when you're working on the work, your job as the writer is to protect the writing, right? Mm -hmm. To create the best environment for the writing, for your flow, possible. Like that is your sole job, not to take care of family members and their feelings. You know, it's very real. I'm a daughter. I was a granddaughter. You know, I know all of those feelings. I was raised in a family that was like, do not air the dirty laundry. Right. So sorry, grandma. (laughs) I did. The other thing, the other tip I would say is that what was really important for me when I was was talking to family members who did not want to talk to me, Mm. right? My father was very reticent about talking about a lot of this, was that I was very clear with myself and then with him that this story was much larger than him or I. The story, you know, was much larger than any individual family member. The story touches upon things that happened in our nation's, you know, national past and affects us today. So I think when my father realized that, you know, it was a little bit easier for him to talk. So that was incredibly helpful. Awesome. Ava, thank you so much. This is so interesting. So exciting about your book. Congratulations on this massive accomplishment. And yeah, I can't wait to watch you just, you know, soar. (laughs) Thanks so much, Zivi. Thanks for having me on your podcast. No, thanks for leading the way. This was like the greatest (laughs) half an hour of my life. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.